0: And then when you're done, you hit it and it goes from red so to green.
1: Do you ever listen to any of your own podcasts? I do. Do you? I, I never do. Like, I go, do. Yeah. I listen I
0: I listen to yeah. the internal ones to audit my messaging and my language. But I don't I don't listen to dirt talk all that much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same same thing. I hardly ever listen to my own DL podcast. Yeah. So but Yeah, it's like I don't want to hear myself talk. I was there. I know I know what I said.
0: I, I try to the thing I'm I'm really caught, I, I really watch is whenever I speak I have it recorded and then I go through and listen to it and watch it very carefully.
1: Yeah make sure is, articulated well and yeah done, yeah
0: it's helped it's helped me a lot yeah. to watch my much Watch my speaking. Yeah. It, and it's uncomfortable at first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one likes to hear themselves talk or watch themselves yeah. talk. But I feel like that's you need to watch the game film to actually improve.
1: That's yeah. That's why I, I watch so many other podcasts trying to pick up how do they do it. What's the format? How are they asking questions? How the conversation flow? What's happening there?
0: Oh, and, once you, and once you start to have a podcast, you start to appreciate the art that is yeah.
1: having a conversation in front of a microphone. Cause it's, it's a different deal. It totally is a different deal. Like yeah. you got to ask the right questions, make sure the conversation flows. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's not as easy as just getting an interesting person. Cause you, you have to create at least hour plus or 45 minutes, whatever it is of really compelling content. And there are so many compelling podcasts out there. Yep. It's like, I need to be more compelling <laughs> than, you know, uh, a Jocko
1: or somebody like that. who's very yeah. damn compelling. Yeah. I mean, people love stories. Right. So I always try to tell my guests, like just, People love stories. Like yeah. don't give me the product pitch here. Like tell yeah. me give me go to the next layer deep. Let's talk about this. So stuff sometimes.
0: So you you have a podcast, so you're typically on the other side talking to other people, but you have a company called Diesel Laptops.
1: Yes, Diesel Laptops started a while back. I was
0: I was thinking about the name of your company this morning while I was running. I yeah. was like Because I I liked we went to dinner last night and I got a much better explanation as far as what you guys do, which we'll get into in a second here. And I was thinking about, I was like,
1: that's actually a pretty clever, like that explains it perfectly. Well, (laughs) it did at first. So here's my problem, right? Now we have EVs and we do stuff on mobile devices. So I'm like, Uh none of this makes any sense anymore. So I'll tell you, the only reason we did diesel laptops was I'm working for somebody else. I'm starting to do like these kits and starting to build stuff part time online. I'm like, first on an eBay. I'm like, I need like a, like a name on eBay. Like, what am I going to do? And then I do a little research, and I figured out most people I was selling these kits to hook up to commercial trucks. And mm-hmm. the two word search terms that people were most using on Google was diesel and laptops. Really? I'm like, yeah. So I'll just call it. I'll just call, I'll just call it that. And that, that, that's that's where it started. So it's it's gotten the the waters definitely gotten murky. But yeah. you know, we're we're gonna figure it out the branding and everything as we go on. But it's such a big brand name in our space now that people know who we are. Yeah. That it's hard to you know I don't want to don't want to taint that.
0: Well, the guy in here, Riley, he, he saw you guys. He's like, oh, the diesel laptop guys
1: guys are here. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's them. I'll, t- yeah. I'll tell you what, one of, the, one of the weirdest things for me is like getting recognized at weird places. <laughs> so like, I'm sure it happens to you too, because yeah. your face out there, but it's just been like, like, I was on an island with my wife on our pontoon boat on our lake, and I'm like with my shirt off, just kind of there. My kids are playing. Someone rolls up like are you Tyler Robertson with diesel laptops? And my wife's like, what is that? <laughs> can we not have this in our life? I'm like, uh, it's kind of part of our life now. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's, it's amazing what social media and doing all these things can really do for your, your personal brand and your company brand at the end of the day. So
0: uh, I guess go to that. How have you used social media? You've been pretty deliberate about social media. Like you, you, I go on LinkedIn. If I scroll through my feed, you're almost always there. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah, and I hope you can say the same about me. I I constantly see <laughs> stuff from you guys, right?
1: Not only that, I, I, later we got to talk about how I get my employees to do like what your employees do in posts because uh-huh. I I can't I haven't I guess I haven't pushed them, but so so for me it's it's been LinkedIn, right? And the reason for that was when I was starting my company, I didn't know anything, and I had all these pressures and all these things. I'm just trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who can I talk to? Like my wife, you know, God bless her, but she she doesn't understand business or what I do. And my my dad doesn't like, and it was just me in my garage. And like, <laughs> where do I, where do I talk about things and just have an outlet to go? And mm-hmm. then I was like, man, LinkedIn, like I I kind of had an account for a couple of years, but I was like, well, oh, I'll start posting on here and. Um, I mean, I, that's just my place I've gone to for the last couple of years. And, you know, now it's similar to you guys. It generates millions of views all the time. And I think I'm probably more transparent than most people on there. I have no problem telling people like, Hey, this, this bad thing happened. Like a hacker stole 40 grand from us. that's what I learned from it how we're not going to make it happen again. But I also try to talk about all the good stuff and the things we're doing. And it, it really does turn into a huge branding thing that people, and especially in your space, just know who you are and what your company does and why you do what you do. And people want to buy from people they like and people they believe in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of again what you do here at BuildWit is is a lot of that reason is people understand you're not just here to sell a product, you're here to help solve a problem.
0: Yeah. I think and I I oftentimes question like why do people still do business with us cuz we suck. A lot of times <laughs> or at least I suck a lot of times. And I think that's a big piece of it is they at least they at least know we're giving it our best shot. And we're not, we're not bullshitting them. We're not screwing them over. Like this, this is what it is. And it's not perfect a lot of times, but at least we're telling you the truth.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you the thing that like stabs me in the heart, the hardest is like when we go get like these Google one-star reviews, like you guys suck. (laughs) Like the tools just doesn't work. And I'm like, sold 30,000, it works. Like there's something else (laughs) going on here. Right. Right. But you, you have, I mean, we definitely have our haters out there. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, and then we start doing net promoter scores, and you mm-hmm. know, net promoter scores is this range and everything. And I get all the feedback, and you know, I always go to like the negative ones. I kind of don't even look at the top ones, and they're yeah. they're like they're like gut punches, man. Yeah. <laughs> they're, and they're straight up telling you what's wrong. But I, I'm like, I love that. I'm like, you know what? That's what we need to work on. Don't don't worry about those five star reviews. Let's go worry about like how did we fail this customer and how can we fix it so it never happens again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of companies don't do that. They in that's part of growing a business and trying to figure things out. And as, as we all know, anyone listening to this, if you scale your company, you're going to have problems. And, and God knows we've had plenty of our problems happen in the past.
0: Well, anybody with a compelling career is going to have problems. I think that's one of the key, like that's one of the key ingredients in a compelling career in life is you, you have to go into areas you're unprepared for whatever it is, whether that be business or pushing yourself, you know, getting a doctorate. I don't, I don't care what it is, but that's, That's it. Like that's where you grow. That's where you make things special is when you go into places you're wildly unprepared for.
1: Yeah. So seven years ago when I started this, like it was so easy for me. It was just me, my garage. I talked to every customer. I knew everything Mm -hmm. going on. And I can tell people now, like here we are seven years later, you know, over 200 employees, all these things. And some days it really sucks being the CEO. Like I don't, I don't want to be dealing with HR issues and accounting and budgets and for like, I hate that stuff. Like I just, I just want to go make cool new products and keep go solving problems. And that, that's been tough for me to, to have to give up some of those things and do things I don't like. And I know I need to do them. I need to be good at them, which means I got to put the effort in. I got to practice them. I got to train and and do all these and learn new skills. Like there, I'm a totally different person in my business today than I was seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's. That's been a really hard transition as a CEO founder to make as the as your company grows, and it's hard to give up things. And I I've had to do it, and it it pains me that I can't do some things I used to do. But I know I know I'm better off for it as an organization now that I've been able to get there.
0: Talk about the original kit. What was the original product? What was the original problem?
1: Yeah. So the original problem was trucks. Through the years, the EPA got involved and added a bunch of emission equipment. You know, basically. They had to add a bunch of emission parts to these engines to make them meet emission requirements Mm -mm. and that created a lot of complexity and dealers got training big fleets got training and everybody else got nothing Mm -hmm. so if you owned an independent shop or a small fleet and you got this new egr valve or dpf filter you there was no training there was no nothing no instruction manual on how to fix or troubleshoot these things the oems hold that really close to the chest so the original problem everybody had was and everything got computerized. So it was, I need a tool to hook up to this truck and I need to be able to know what the codes are, Mm. how to fix it, what's going on here. And it sounds like a simple thing at first, but nobody had that. One person made software. One person made the hardware that goes between the truck and the laptop. And uh, of course, somebody else made the laptop, but nobody made all three. So I just like, well, I don't even have my own products at this point. I'm like, well, I found this guy in Canada. He had this great piece of software that just read everything on every truck. Hmm. And his website looked like it was out of the eighties. Uh, Don bless his heart. He still works with us. Uh, but I was like, Don, can I, can I just take your software program preloaded on a laptop and I'll, I'll make the hardware all installed. I'll install. configure the Bluetooth, the firmware, like it'll be ready to go out of the box. I'll sell a kit. The guy's like, I don't think it'll work, but give it a shot. And I, I, bottled the pieces, marked it up like 400 bucks, threw it on eBay, and it sold the next day. Really? And I was like,
0: huh. So your first product was on eBay? Oh, I started on eBay.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I started on eBay. That, I didn't have a website. I had nothing. I was like, I, I think this can maybe help people. And then I, then I took that money and I uh, bought another kit. And then I put it on eBay and I marked the price up another 400 bucks and it sold again right away. Like, well, wow. son of a gun. So so now I've sold two kits. I, I've got a couple thousand bucks in my pocket. And I'm just like, well, I'm going to build two kits. I'm going to raise the price again. And they sold. And I, I've I've basically, it sounds crazy to tell people that, you know, we do, we'll probably do 75, 80 million in revenue this year. And people are like, well, what'd you start it with? I'm like, I don't know, 1500 bucks, somewhere yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, but it's just been rolling up. But that was the original thing was like, just give people a product that will let them do what they want to do. But it quickly led to a ton of other products as we started to realize people needed more than just a diagnostic tool.
0: Um, can you explain the the codes thing? Because you, you hear the term codes. And, yeah. and if you're in the industry, you understand that. But
1: yeah, my check engine light came on, right? Like, yeah. Actually, I was driving here today and my car's check engine light came oh, on. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. I gonna drive it, six hours it back. Oh, <laughs> it, no, oh, it's it's your, oh, oh, it's your, yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah, then yeah. it is your problem. Yeah, it is my problem. Right. Right. So, so what people, I guess, need to realize is like, why, why did a code, why did my dash light come on? Right. Mm-hmm. And kind of what's going on there is there's a sensor somewhere on the, vehicles have hundreds of sensors now, right? There's a sensor value that changed and hit a certain threshold. And then the ECM, the computer on the truck goes, oh, we have a problem. And. That's how most fault codes work today is just electrical signals, right? So it's either a value gets above a threshold or it loses ground or the voltage changes or or something happens somewhere to cause this problem uh, and the check engine light comes on. But the problem is, yeah,
0: the check engine light comes on, but that doesn't mean anything for a mechanic. They need to figure out what the hell's actually
1: going on, going wrong before they can fix it. Everybody, that's where you come in. Yeah. Everyone needs a tool. At the end of the day, we always say this, whether they buy from us today or tomorrow, like... Look, everyone needs a tool now that you cannot work on today's commercial trucks, off-highway equipment mm-hmm. without a Marine tool. We sell Marine, tool. we sell over a million dollars in Marine tools. You can't do these things and be and diagnosed and take care of equipment without the right diagnostic tool to do sure. that. But what we learned really quick was you just handing someone a diagnostic tool doesn't help. So like, Aaron, if I just handed you a diagnostic tool and go, hey, that, that cat dozer's got a check engine light. Yeah. You're going to be like okay, what what do I do if I can even hook it up right?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't even know to to hook it up. Yeah,
1: where do I hook it up? Well, we had to build that. So we actually had to build a library of videos and pictures and show people like this cable plugs in under the driver's armrest, plug it in here, right? So we had to build all that to show people. And then what we figured out is if you have a tool and you hook up to something and it tells you the code, now what? What, Mm -hmm. What do I do with that? Yeah. And that was the problem we ran into right away, you know, seven years ago when I was doing this was, well, all we did was solve part of the problem. We didn't give them a solution. We just, we just told them what the code was. Now they need to know how to fix it. In order to fix it, you need to know a troubleshooting for the code. You probably need a wiring diagram. Maybe you need some specifications, mm. maybe you need some room place instructions or some torque values. Like you need more than just here's the code. So I had to go to our team and be like, Hey guys, uh, we need to be able to repair information for every single commercial truck and off high equipment that's ever existed. And, and that's, that's a tall order, uh, for us to do, but that's exactly what our team's done is go build that information. And some things are further along than others, but it was, that was the next piece of the puzzle was like, just let's give them that. Um, but it, it quickly led into other things like training and the phone, a friend and all these other pieces that, that people need.
0: Yeah. You guys are all over the board now, all over the board. I mean, even just the, the, the phone, a friend thing, that's pretty slick. So you have, explain that you have, you have diesel technicians on standby so i can call them up hey here's what's going on and they can walk me through how to fix whatever the problem is. yeah
1: so we're the only ones that go to market and say you're not just buying a tool you're buying a concierge service like i'm going to give you repair information i'm gonna give you the great diagnostic tool i'm going to give you live diesel techs or it pros you can call anytime you want and they can chat with them right on the computer they can call us in however they want to do it and we can take what we can remote in their computer and take it over we can actually send them a link to their mobile phone. So if I want to use the camera on their mobile phone and see stuff, we can use that as well. And yeah, we're, we're all about helping that pro- person fix their problem that they have. And to me, that's, that's the way the world should work, right? It should be if you're, you're, you need to sell the entire package, not just one piece of it to help your customers be successful. So we've learned that. And I, I think where that's evolved us from is we used to just do all that for free and give it away and then given them to buy a renewal each year. And we've started to realize now like, man, that repair information we built is so valuable. I think customers that aren't our customers that have somebody else's tool would probably want access to it. And we've done that. And we're doing the same thing with our call center. Like, man, I got I got dozens and dozens of diesel techs from all these different OEMs on highway, off highway, like all over the place, marine people. Why don't we just offer customers or a fleet or an equipment operator like pay us this much a month you can call us as much as you want for any kind of help you want with anything and we're going to help you mm. and I, I think that problem that we're solving is our diesel <clears> technician shortage there are not enough of them they yep. can't find them and we're saying we're going to be your first line of defense for your diagnostic needs
0: yeah and you're just helping them be more effective at their job which then if you can make your technicians more effective you don't need as many technicians in theory yeah we still are always going to need technicians but if you can't increase your resource, you have to increase its efficiency. Yeah. That's essentially what you're helping with.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at, you know, the shortages that I see in our spaces, right? It's drivers for trucks, it's diesel technicians for on-highway and off-highway. I know equipment operators are up there too. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So what it, what it comes down to us, I think with any problem, there's not just one solution. It's like a multi-solutions multi are needed to, to a problem. And for us, it, one problem is, is we need to get more people involved in our industry. Right, and I, I think us BuildWit, a lot of companies are are trying to trying to beat that drum and trying to trying to do that, and that's that's a long term needle like it's hard to move, but it, it is a movable needle, and there's things mm-hmm. that can happen we're both we're both doing that. We're on the other side of it as well, saying, well, why don't we just make the people that are up there already way more efficient at their job, as you just said if if now they can do ten hours of work in an eight hour day, we just i mean let's have that force multiplier going out there to make them better at their jobs and yeah. That leads into, so to me, it's a people problem and a technology problem. And then, you know, like we were talking about the podcast, that predictive side, like, what if we get ahead of problems before it's all trucks broke down and the sky's falling and everyone's upset and nobody knows when things are going to happen on the job site. And that's the, that's really the future of, uh, diagnostics.
0: Can you explain the predictive side?
1: Cause I didn't know this was a thing until 20 minutes ago. So I didn't believe it when I first heard it a year and a half ago. Yeah. So, um, Interesting enough, a little backstory on this. There's a gentleman that came out with this this paper like 15 years ago, and it's 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 almost like this roadmap of the world of diagnostics, going from things will first get electrical, then we'll have diagnostic codes, mm-hmm. and then we'll get better at it, and then we'll get predictive, and then we'll get to AI. Like, and I'm like, I looked at it, and this thing is this thing is old, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, this this guy actually had it exactly exactly right. Yeah, and the world of predictive. Um, and there are billions of dollars getting thrown at this, right? So there, there's companies that have raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, their valuations are through the roof. And they're basically went out there and said, look, we can if we can get data constantly off of that piece of equipment, it can be a wind turbine, it can be a railroad uh, locomotive, it can be an off-highway piece of equipment, it can be a commercial truck, automotive. If we can get data off constantly, we can build the AI tools and machine learning To not only know before you have, we'll let you know before you have a problem. We'll do that getting data off your vehicle, but we'll compare it to all the other data sets we're collecting everywhere. So you imagine just getting this big, huge world of information and having Mm. a lot of smart people building different models to slice and dice and look at that and be predictive before you have a problem. So I truly feel that's, that's the future in, in all these spaces of any, any, powered equipment, whether it's EVs or whether it's diesel powered or gas powered, it, it's going to be that model of everyone trying to get ahead of the problem.
0: How you explained it was every uh, when something throws a code, it's hitting a certain threshold. If it's below the threshold, you're not going to get that code, but that doesn't mean there isn't a problem brewing. Yep. So you can identify, hey, there's an irregularity here compared to the data set that we have across the board of this machine. Of this many hours, you know, with and, and it says, okay, there's not a code yet, but the battery could fail tomorrow or next week or whatever it is. So you probably ought to go
1: repair that. Yeah, I mean, it's looking at so many variables. It's looking at you know how many hours on the equipment. It's looking at what's your geographical location, what's the weather temperature there. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're taking all these variables and figuring these things out. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't believe it when I first saw it, but I, I can say. Now that I've seen it, like it it really is predictive. I mean it's 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 an in it's in the infancy of technology. Yeah. But I can see I can see where it's going and the impact it'll have on on a lot of things. So yeah. yeah, it's it's a big deal.
0: Cause that's kind of the flaw. I mean, that's where medicine needs to go. It's the same thing as medicine. You go to the doctor when you're sick. You should be going to the doctor. Hey, you might get sick here. In theory, it's the same thing with a piece of equipment. We're purely reactive right now, essentially sure you have PMs and all that, but it's mostly reactive. Hey, there's a code. Hey, this thing broke. You park it and then you wait for someone to show up to fix it. Sometimes that takes, that can take weeks right now. Yeah. So if you can get ahead of that or know that you're going to need this part in a few weeks so you can order it in advance, which is a big deal right now, game changer.
1: It's a huge game changer. And that that method you talked about with doctors, I I don't know what country in the Far East does it, but the doctors actually get paid on the wellness of patients, not the sickness of patients. Oh, go figure. Yeah. So they like, and that's, you said it, right? That's the way it should be. Yeah. And the way we talk about all the data we collect off vehicles, we call it diesel health. And we always say like, look, you go to the doctor, what do they do? They check your height, blood Mm -hmm. pressure, weight. What are they doing? They're establishing a baseline. Start getting data off your vehicle, get the baselines established. And if you're constantly pulling scans and data off it, you can start to know how things are behaving, how things are working on your truck. Um, and again, we're, we're in day one of this stuff or day zero of this stuff, right? It's going to be a while before this stuff's all really mainstream. Uh, but you're starting to see bigger companies like Pepsi just signed a big deal with somebody saying, yep, we mm-hmm. demoed it, it worked. They caught a couple overhauls before it needed it on our equipment. Or we're sold. Um, so I, I see that technology coming very, very fast once once all the, all the kinks are worked out of the system on it.
0: Why, why are the OEMs a little annoyed with what you guys do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, well, I get, I get plenty of love letters from uh, OEM attorneys. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've always, I've always wanted a really good cease and desist letter. Cause I would
1: frame it and put it on the wall. So I've got a couple and the, the last one I got the same company and sent me one like three times. I go, look guys, like the next one you send, I'm taking a picture of this, putting it on social media and framing it up in my front lobby. Cause this is total BS. <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm just done with this. And, uh, they, they haven't, they have not sent one back since, right? Go, go figure. Uh, yeah. So we've talked about the same thing. Like, let's just start hanging these things. So it, it's been a little bit now since we've gotten one. Uh, but because here's the thing, you're an OEM you manufacture equipment mm-hmm. and you sell that equipment and then your revenue stream's done. Right. But now you get your dealerships that are out there servicing it all. Yeah. And you don't get, you don't make any money when that dealership does labor. You do make money when they need parts and they can put parts in that truck. So you get your, your re, your reoccurring revenue right through that method. Um, where we step in is, and what OEMs do like John Deere's a great example. John Deere says, nobody can have our diagnostic software or tools. Mm-hmm. They have to come to us and they have all their reasons i think they're bs but they have all their reasons to say why they have to do that and that sucks for the user so can you imagine owning a car and being like the only place i can bring it back is the ford dealership yeah like i nobody wants that yeah right and that's what the off highway world's done to a large degree and they've made their software not available and there's people that have bootlegged and pirated it but even if you do you need to buy like their two thousand dollar piece of hardware from each manufacturer to make it work it's just it's just it's not not effective And we've come out and said, hey, look, uh, Mr. Customer, what if I gave you one piece of software? It can hook up to every piece of machinery, truck, automotive, marine, crane, generator, water pump, anything. And it's one software program. It'll hook up to everything. No required annual fees. And you can diagnose anything you want. Mm -hmm. And OEMs don't like that. And dealerships don't like that. Because all of a sudden, that John Deere dealer, for example, thought everybody has to come to him. And now the customers have an option. Yeah. to do it themselves and it goes a lot into the right to repair
0: it's just but it's it's so funny because even if they wanted to repair everything they don't even have the capacity right now so you're only screwing your customer
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah what? the, the uh, only reason uh, i exist <laughs> is because dealerships kind of suck like that like that. that's that that's that's the honest to god's truth is if they were taking care of all their customers and getting them in and out and customers loved going to the dealership. They wouldn't need aftermarket diagnostic tools. Mm. Independent aftermarket independent shops won't even need to exist. Yeah, and it's, I mean, they just don't have the infrastructure. They were built to fix
0: diesel engines and heavy equipment. But this whole emissions thing, it hasn't, it's been a long time coming, but also I feel like it's snuck up on everybody at the same time. And the, just the capacity and the, even just the knowledge to actually
1: care for these machines, I feel like is lacking in a lot of situations. Oh, I mean, there's, Okay. So like I, I've been around, my dad owns off highway equipment. He owns a couple of gravel pits. I've been around commercial trucks a long time. I've I've been on sites. When you talk about like preventive maintenance with people, usually what they just go to is like, Oh yeah, we do oil changes. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah. how, how often? Like whenever they got time, you know, like you can just tell they're not, they're not focused. I mean, those, those machines are, are knives and forks to them and they don't look at the cost and the ROI as much per se on the machine. They're just looking at the jobs. Uh, so there's a real lack of maintenance that happens all over the place. Um, and I, will say, I'll say even this, I worked at dealerships. I was a service manager there and this is a pretty successful one. We were very rarely telling a customer like, oh, by the way, did you know you were for due for this thing? Like we would very rarely do that because Mm -hmm. like you said, I had two weeks of work outside. Like I, I don't got time to go tell a customer he needs to do his transmission oil change. Like whatever. He'll figure it out. Like we just, it just wasn't even on our radar because so much business is being thrown at us. So the industry has a a severe lack of preventative maintenance situation going on, which compounds the problem of the trucks breaking down and the equipment breaking down and the ripple effect that happens from all these things.
0: Yeah. See, this is where it gets tricky though, especially on road. You get the owner operators. They can't afford to maintain their trucks a lot of times because that's downtime that they, like a lot of them are They're working wire to wire and it's, it's their every man for themselves. Uh, And, and sometimes they just can't even afford to go maintain their trucks. And so, which, which becomes a bigger and bigger problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, an independent driver paying 150 bucks an hour to a shop and going to a dealer and paying like, I mean, overhauls are 20, 30, 40 grand. Like what owner operators got that much cash sitting around to be able to do something like that? Probably, probably not many of them if we had to guess. Right. And it's it's a really owner operators that industry is is so so wacky like uh, so many people entered it like the last couple of years because mm-hmm. the freight rates were so good yeah, yeah. and so many now are just like forget it I'm going back to driving for somebody else and abandoning truck I mean, this is the whiplash I've seen in this in that industry since I've been around it since the early two thousands it just is like this there's super high highs and super low lows and mm-hmm. some of the big ones stay stay through it and the smart ones but owning a truck man it's like running a business and a lot of them will just want to be a cowboy a lot of times and don't understand the the dollars and cents and budgeting and all the things the new skills they have to learn to do a a new role i think
0: going back to the oems and the dealers there's a disconnect there It, it it i think the emissions deal and their unpreparedness i mean they're they're doing it but they're largely unprepared I think that is indicative of the disconnect between OEMs and dealers that I've seen typically. Like the OEMs created this technology. They're
1: they're the ones that made it.
0: Yeah. So they're dealers, they should be able to
1: keep up. Okay. I'm I'm gonna I worked at a dealership for over a decade. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let everyone on a big secret here oftentimes new equipment and new stuff would show up on our shop before we even knew it existed <laughs> like it's crazy and we we'd go like hook up and we get a we get like the software would just be like unknown fault code like what the crap <laughs> even <laughs> the software work and then we'd get a fault code and we'd look at the repair and be like call call oem We're like wait so you have you you know it was just it was like every step of the way and it'd be like i was just i just we just visited dan ninus was here with me he came from the freightliner dealership world and he said when the when the brand new trucks just came out with new engines it came in for its first oil change. No oil filters available. No available anywhere. Love it. <laughs> He's like, we can't even do that. So people think like these dealerships, like, oh, they get all the training they get all this stuff ahead of time. Like, no, mm. like it. it is. And maybe some are better than others, but yeah, the ones I've worked at, it's it, it it's been a scramble and then they're flying engineers in there from the OEM to try to help you out and trying to do things. And it just, it's a, it's a, you know, the, the old Chinese fire drill is what happens.
0: And it's, it's a lot of frustration. I know a lot of technicians I've talked to, they're very frustrated, very frustrated, which then leads to turnover, go figure. Yeah. And then their customers are really frustrated too. That's, that's the number one problem. I talk to more equipment customers than most people now. That's the number one complaint is these highly complicated emission systems that throw codes all day long. And
1: it's, it's really impacted their operations because they just have more downtime yeah and a, a lot of it comes back to what we talked about earlier is they don't they don't know how to properly maintain them uh yeah. like those dpf filters need to come off every once in a while go in yeah, the machine yeah, yeah. and get clean yeah. and, and, and all these things and um people don't ever actually it's like going back to the doctor example you have a dpf that's plugged people are usually like oh regen it and kick it down the road and let the you know it'll go that's that's the exact opposite of what you should do yeah what you should do is figure out like well why is it plugged? Uh-huh. So like, I'll tell you a story. I, I'd hired my first ever diesel technician trainer. We have a training department, training all over the country we offer. And I hired this guy and we, uh, my first day, I'm like, hey, let's go to a local repair shop here. So to so the tools work and get you familiar. And we get there and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, we're just here to check out. He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go, go check out that truck there. It's got a problem. And I go over there and the, the driver's in the cab, right? And I, we're like, hey, what's going on? He goes, man, this thing needs like a regen like every couple of days. Like I can't do it with buttons on my dash. I got to bring it to a shop. Like well, how often this has been going on? He goes like weeks and all they ever do at every place is they just regen it. And then I'm good to go for a couple of days. days. Nice. And my guys, yeah. So my guy's like, all right. He goes like anything else going on? And he's like, ah, no, I don't, I don't think so. He goes, yeah, you know, I'm going through like, you know, I found like I'm putting a lot of oil in here more frequently than <laughs> I had <have> been before. <laughs> like, okay. So, so my, my guy, my guy goes, hooks the laptop up and there's, there's, there's like the regen codes, but there's a code for overspeed. And he, he looks at he looks at it at he goes, oh, I already know what the problem is. And the guy's like, what? He goes, I guarantee you if you take that intake off the turbo, there's going to be oil in there. So we go over there, we rip it off. There's oil there. He's like, yeah. He goes, you got you got an oil leak happening and it's just pushing it through all the way to the DPF filter and plugging it up. Oh. like And the guy's like, I've been driving around for weeks and no one's done that.
0: And then they'd regen
1: it and so it burns the oil off. Yeah, it burns off. He's good for a couple but, days. And then it yeah. gets stuck up again. Yeah. Oh, but but nobody, nobody fixes the upstream problems. They just keep kicking the can down the road. Yeah. And then blaming all wow, this junky emission system and this and yeah, that and yeah. it, it, it all comes back to it all goes back to no one's ever told people how to properly maintain and how to properly troubleshoot these things the oems don't do it for their customers they hardly do it for their dealers and that's really where our diesel technician training centers have come in is mm-hmm. we have these centers all across the us and that's our most popular class is we're teaching all about after treatment
0: yeah i think i mean continuing the doctor example it's like most people don't learn how to eat properly. So then they end up unhealthy as a result. Like I I ran past a, it was a bread truck the other day and it was like healthy bread or something like (laughs) all about this bread and how healthy it is. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's, that's a lie. Like bread is not healthy. Like, I don't know. I don't care how you slice it. No pun intended. Like that is, that is not, but people believe that because they've never been taught Uh, that. that. Whereas everybody, well, it's heavy equipment, it's truck. You can just beat the hell out of it because historically you have been able to, but now they're a lot more delicate. There's a lot more technology on there, which does make it run more efficiently. It's not just about emissions. They sip a lot less fuel if they're taken care of, um, which is good for everybody. But they just haven't, they still approach it with, it's a piece of heavy equipment, so I can beat the hell out of it.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people too that just, when something new comes out, they kind of are like, man, what? what is this thing? Like they're, they're kind of not wanting to learn or not wanting to get into it. And it's a complicated thing. And, and I get it. It's tough to figure out something new on your own. Mm -hmm. Like it's really tough to do. And it's everything you're saying 100% about just. If you're going to own that equipment, I mean, you got a 200,000, half a million, a million dollar machine. (laughs) You probably need to probably need to spend a little bit of time and money understanding how these systems work and what you can do to protect that engine. It's like i was just at fleet guard who's right up the road from you guys here in nashville and they're a you know, billion dollar company they sell filters and the, the guy said at best he's like look you can buy a fuel filter anywhere like he goes you can buy one from from china or you can buy one from us we're gonna charge you a lot more he goes really at the end of the day we're the last line of defense for your engine for your fuel system Like yeah. something gets through your blown injectors and everything yeah, else yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah. do you really do you really want to go buy something that costs 80 percent less yeah. you get what you pay for right so People got to spend a little bit of time and and think through these things a little bit besides just throwing the truck out there. And like you said, beating the snot out of it. And I uh, I hope my dad's listened to this because he does that quite a bit.
0: So, but this is, I see this. So it's reality nonetheless. Like the missions thing is not going away. It is. It is very much here to stay. And I'm not, I don't fully subscribed to, oh, it was just the government. Like, I'm like I look at all the OEMs. I'm like, you guys are making way too much money, way too much money here to just be like, oh, it was just the government. We're just doing what we're told here. Yeah. I don't buy that one bit. Anyway, it's, it's, it's here to stay and equipment is getting more and more technical, which presents the opportunity for the next generation. Because I think if you can marry uh, a mechanical understanding and operational understanding with technological understanding which this next generation has you can create something really special and you can outperform just about anybody at that at
1: that rate so that's a huge opportunity for any young person oh it's it's a huge opportunity so i i always tell people like look if if your son or daughter is interested in this field at all i can i can tell you something with absolute certainty if they get in this profession, they're never going to worry about a job in their life. Yeah, like they are always going to have a job. And the fact is, they're going to be making six figures in a couple of years. <laughs> like, yeah, it's and not it's only it, going up; it, it's only going up, and you never have to worry about employment. And that's Mm-mm. something a lot of people can't say. And you are you are absolutely right. The people that understand electrical, they understand how these systems work. They're like gold, man. They they can. They can literally name their price on what they want to make as a diesel technician. And there's diesel techs working for other people, making 100, 150, 200 grand a year, working mm-hmm. for someone else when they open their own shop or open a mobile truck. Sure. They can make even a lot more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you, it, and that's the cool thing about this job too is yeah, you can have your own truck. So you can be doing your own thing. I mean, you're running your own business essentially.
1: And it could just be just you. That, that's been the huge shift I've seen the last couple of years in the diesel tech space is these guys are working for somebody else and somebody else's shop or somebody else's mobile truck. And then they, then they realize like, well, wait a second, I'm getting paid 50 bucks an hour. I own my own tools. If I buy a truck mm-hmm. and find a customer or two, I can make 150 bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And all of a sudden, boom, they're in business for themselves. And I, I think a lot of those guys go through what a lot of business owners do. It doesn't matter what it is. They're just trying to figure out how to, you know, deal with receivables and bill the customers and all the, mm-hmm. all the stuff that comes along with it. But I mean, there, there's a company out there that scaled up from like one truck to thousands and sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars. So it, it's it's like any business. You can scale it up and, and do the sky's the limit on how you want to run it.
0: What's the future of trucking? You're pretty close to trucking. And I am always, I'm so curious about it because you know, automation, but you don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Automation's not coming out anytime soon. Yeah. Like what's the future truck? Yeah. Like?
1: like, you know, the two that we always talk about are robots driving trucks. Yeah. And then we talk about EVs, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Those are like, oh, the, yeah. those are the two big ones. And yeah. I can tell the audience listening. So here, here's, I'll just tell you my general diesel laptop stance on this is I was late to the diagnostic tool game. I've only been in the business for seven years. There was companies 20 years before me doing this. Yeah. And, you know, we, the, the next biggest competitor we have, we double their revenue size now. Like I, I lapped them in seven years and I'm like, man, this little EV space, man. This is like the great reset. <laughs> like I'm, I'm looking at my chops to be the, to be the first ones here. So what I've learned, I guess we can talk about EVs first. So first of all, I've, I've been invited to Navistar international truck. I've been to their place. They, they did a great thing with me. We're working with those guys. I got to drive some of them. mm mm-hmm man they are fun like you throw that you throw that pedal down like they, oh they they get up and go yeah, yeah they're they're it was like a school bus i was like man it's almost dangerous the kids in here but sure. but it was it was a really cool experience um i've talked to the mac guys i've been they've been on my podcast uh we're good friends with the guys at exos who are doing ev stuff i followed the whole nicola saga this is mm-hmm. that whole thing unfolded just <laughs> yep. a just a burning wagon over there at nicola but uh but at the end of the day um EVs are going to be a long time before they're in the United States in in any kind of huge, huge capacity. So it's going to take a while for a couple of reasons. One, if you want to buy an EV truck today, you got to start planning at least a year out. It really takes that long to figure out the infrastructure, Mm -hmm. what routes are they going to run, how much battery do you need, weight ratings, and a lot of the trucking world is based off how much you can haul which is weight. And everyone wants the lightest truck possible. Well, a standard class eight diesel powered truck, you know, you're probably 17, 18,000 pounds with a sleeper. You're over 30 with a EV. It's, it's hilarious. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're like, okay, like yeah. I can haul less. <laughs> and the range is like Kenworth came out with theirs last year. And the range for a day cab model was like 200 miles. Uh-uh. I'm like, okay, so you can't haul as much. And you have to have more than less than 200 miles a day. Like you just, you just narrow down so much like the applications for that truck. So you see other companies like Navistar, like we'll do school buses and school buses make tremendous amount of sense. Mm -hmm. They're, they're back at their place every day or twice a day. They can charge during off peak hours. They can, Mm -hmm. they have set routes and it it makes great sense. And I think Mac's doing a good idea too. They're really focused on refuse. Same thing as buses. They have a set route. They go, they're back at certain times. Yep. Um, people want don't want brakes squealing and all these things happening at six in the morning picking up their garbage like that. That makes complete sense. So I think when people think EVs, they think like the Tesla and the over the road trucks moving up and down the freeway hauling the eighteen wheelers. Man, it's gonna be a long, long time before before we see. There's there's not even the charging infrastructure. No, and, well,
0: and you're just constrained by physics just yes. because like you said, you have to add more and more and more and more batteries. If you want more range, you have to add more batteries, yeah. but then you're adding more weight, which doesn't work for trucking. It, it, it's, you're working against yourself, um, whereas Tesla can get away with it because you don't need that much range driving around a city. And if you're home every day, t- yeah. you are home everyday you charge it every day. So you go, I mean, maybe a hundred miles, well, so
1: you're good to go. So here's the thing with charging too. Like if everyone decides to charge your trucks during the day, it's not going to work. Like they have to be charged off peak hours yeah. just for the the demand on the grid and the cost of it. And the, like, there's a lot of variables through this whole thing. And people are always like, well, why are you so excited about EVs? I'm like, well, number one, I, I've been around enough EVs. Like I popped the hood on one and I thought there'd be nothing there. Like, a, mm. like the Ford Frunk. I was like, oh, it'll be nothing here. It was full of stuff. There's full of stuff underneath the frame rails. It was just different stuff. And they need cooling systems and there's different electronics and different sensors. And well, the data coming off of them is probably so much more advanced. Oh, the the, da- the data is. And then where I, where I actually think our biggest opportunity is, is people don't realize every one of these charging stations is a mini computer system. Uh, and it's got wires, it's got sensors, it's got electrical. I'm like, okay man, I'm like, man, if every fuel pump turned to an electrical station, I'm like, just what if somebody made a diagnostic tool to actually hook up and diagnose all these charging stations and they have problems and mm. do these other things. So for me, I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity there and we're, we're still all in learning mode, but I can tell you at our, our training centers, you'll soon be seeing our online platform. You'll soon see EV train because people, people need to be safe. Um, you know, a school bus tips over, you got high voltage wires, like you need the jaws of life to do something like what are first responders doing? What are recovery towing operations doing? How do they not kill themselves? How do they yeah. not drag the wheels backwards and put, put the reverse current back into the, like there's things that need, people need to know about these to actually be safe as well. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, I mean, even the Ford lightning, it's like, Oh, it's a pretty cool truck. And, and you're, you're like, Oh, the range, like 300 miles or something. Well, it's pretty good. And then I, I, it was hilarious when it showed it towing the range and it's just like, Almost nothing. No, yeah, almost <laughs> nothing. Yeah. So, if you want to drive around, it's a great it's a great pickup truck. Yeah. If you want to do pickup truck stuff, not a great pickup truck. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My diesel is still your you best bet. Then I read like they're like, well, ninety percent of people don't use the box anyway, or so there was some excuse. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, whatever. Like uh, it, okay. it, it just has it has so it has so far to go. Yeah, and like, but it gets so much media attention from everybody. That people think Mm. like there's a million EVs driving around and maybe there are a million. I don't even know how many there are, but it's going to take a long time for all this to sort itself out. And it it goes back to everything from the grid to the different charging cables to the stations and where they're at. And like, there's just so much there, so much there to unpack in the whole EV world. And I'm starting to see some of the off-highway equipment guys do it too, right? I think I saw like, was it John Deere or somebody came out with a farm tractor that's EV or like,
0: there's some niche applications for electric equipment. I'm all for it. Like, especially when you're doing demo inside, for example. Yeah. Or working in a mining, uh, you know, underground mining. If you can eliminate diesel fumes, that's a big, that's a game changer. Yep. yep. Um, but to, to make an electric excavator that's going to work for 12 hours, like work? Yeah.
1: Mm, that's going to be tough. It's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a while. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, be- so w- w- what's the deal? Uh, but, but there is a lot of electric equipment that has a trailing cable. Yeah. So yeah. all big mining,
1: typically big mining my, shovels. My dad's got a drag line that they, they made yeah. electric, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's all, uh, so most of that's all electric. Like you'll walk up to one of those shovels and you'll just hear the cable slapping and the, as the, as the dipper opens, you'll hear kind of the squealing of the steel rubbing yeah. against itself, but you're not hearing a It's It's not, there's no engine. It's just whirls inside of the machine. Yeah. Um. Okay. EVs
1: autonomous. Yeah. Parking. Yeah. Robots driving trucks. Man. Yes. Yeah. You,
0: go to, you go to Arizona every time I drive down to see my sister in Tucson. So like Google
1: trucks are everywhere. So I got a fun fact for you. Do you know why they do EV testing in Arizona or the United well, States?
0: I don't know the United States. I just know California is not very cool with it. So then everybody came over to Arizona. So,
1: so this is another like backwards thing here in the United States. We make laws to ban things. hmm. The rest of the world usually makes laws to allow things. So so a lot of European companies, they don't have laws that allow them to do like EV uh, autonomous driving. It's not it's not allowed by law, but here there's no law against it. So they can they can do it here. Mm. Um, in Arizona, uh, it's straight, flat, you know, all those things. Yeah, and dry. Yeah. So what it really comes down to with EVs is processing power of all, like there is so much those things are looking for and having to look for, right? And all the variables that go along with that, with reflections and curvatures of roads and the road lines yeah. and the speed limit sign, like they're, the, all, yeah. there are so many real world variables. Our human brain just does in a split second that mm-hmm. computers, they're getting there. They're, they're not there yet. Uh, so I, I guess the best example I can give is in the commercial truck world today, ADAS, Advanced Driver Assist Systems. I think we're in the automotive world, we're all familiar with these, right? These are lane guidance. These are, you know, adaptive cruise control, like all these cool things that we all love in our automobiles today. So we're kind of on like gen three of that with commercial trucks and it really all kind of sucks still. (laughs) Like, um, they're, they're getting better. Some are getting way better. So Daimler and Volvo are like way out in the lead in, in this, in this regard. Uh, but it still has, it still has a way to go. So people that have like kind of the older stuff, man, if you are coming on a curve with a guardrail, the reflections are causing problems and it just, mm. it's not the best stuff in the world. It's, it's way better than it was 10 years ago, but it, it has a ways to go. I, I think the other, the other big ones are really, it's really going to be these like private companies or the public companies now. It's so like too simple. They went public last year. They actually are not a truck manufacturer they are a company building autonomous attachments that go into technology for the vehicles so their hope is to actually go sell it to the oem so they don't have to develop mm, it themselves yeah the whole thought is oems are good at building trucks and they're they're all trying to say they're so, like they're trying to say they're software companies and domler and Volvo which have so many resources and they're in the automotive space as well as so crossover the other guys yeah. paccar and you know those guys mac uh not mac but paccar and international not as much so I think they're all looking at it like, okay, we need, to, we, need to, we need to partner with someone that really knows how to do autonomous and embed that technology in our trucks in, in some way. So I, it's still going to be a long time. So I had, a, I had an expert that I talked to. I did a webinar with them and a podcast with them and he's talking about all the different types, right? And there's everything from like Drones above and using guidance to tell the truck where to go to wow. to platooning, where you get two or three trucks literally bumper to bumper doing seventy miles an hour and down I've, the I've freeway. Seen,
0: I've, I've heard that's more promising, but I don't. I have no idea. Some
1: companies happened. love it, but like oh, I can't remember if it's domler or Volvo. One of the, one of the big ones, they abandoned it about two years ago. Really? They said, "Nope, we don't believe in it anymore. We're going a different direction." So, yeah. uh, it, at the end of the day, people just need to realize. I mean, there's. There's billions of dollars here. People are pouring into this, trying to, trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it has a long way to go still. And here's the thing with driverless trucks. Who unloads the truck when it gets somewhere? Yeah. The driver. Yeah. The driver a lot of times is, is doing it. So I, again, I think people look at robots driving trucks and I think the up and down the freeway is the place. I don't, I don't think so. I think the place will actually be like the loading yards. So imagine a world where a driver drives his truck in pulls into a spot, hops out, hops in another truck and goes, drives to the next location. Mm -hmm. And then that truck just on robot control in the controlled environment. It's not dealing with 70 miles an hour and all these variables. It's doing five miles an hour cruising around. So I think, in my opinion, that's probably where we'll see autonomous trucks work best. And I I kind of view it like like all the warehouse robots like Amazon has and these guys, right? Like Mm -mm. controlled environment, they got grids, they got all these things and robots are just shuttling product from point A to B and I think that's how a lot of these bigger, bigger shipping and distribution centers will will operate outside the warehouse space. It makes sense. It makes sense.
0: I, so the, the company still with the most autonomous miles in history is Caterpillar. And that's because they've been doing it for 20 years in the mines, mostly in, uh, Western Australia, but mining, it's pretty simple. I mean, you take it from the pit to the crusher, pit, the waste dump, pit to the crusher, and you don't have... Karen in the minivan doing her makeup, swerving into your lane. You don't have to worry about that. So you can just, you can, you can automate it because you just have to figure out the environmental components, but you don't have to worry about the human element. And there's like no, there's no opportunity for error there with these, because you kill one person.
1: Oh, you're shut down.
0: You're shut down. I, I watched it with Uber. Yeah. Uber had a massive program in Tempe. They killed one person. The person was at fault. The, the robot car wasn't, but the whole program got shut down overnight, huge, huge hundreds of millions of dollars poured into this program. And the, the irony is autonomous driving is way safer and way more efficient than human beings. It can, like on a two lane highway, if you automated all trucking and driving, there wouldn't be traffic.
1: Yeah. Ever. So like the last car I bought, I had adaptive cruise control on it. So I'm, you know, family trip, got the wife and kids in there and I'm driving along. And my wife, you know, and I'm just like, oh, adaptive cruise. I'm just like I'm going in between lanes and everything. And, then you know, it kind of breaks hard one time because someone pulls up. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. starts yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not even doing this. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's, a the robot. <laughs> it's the robot. Like, she's like, can't you just drive it? I'm like, I guarantee you this thing can drive better than I can. Like, yeah. I, I, have, I have full confidence in that. And I agree. I've seen enough videos of of automatic braking and collision avoidance stuff like kicking in when the, the human driver just never would have caught it. So mm-hmm. I, I fully believe in it. And it, it's, it's like it was told best to me. Uh, but Richard's the name of the the expert. He goes, look, first ninety nine percent's not tough. He goes, it's that last one percent that we have to get perfect. And he goes, there's there's bigger questions that need to get asked. So, say in a situation where either your car gets crashed or you drive and crash into somebody else, which one does the car pick? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, those
0: are the questions people throw around. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, which is, which is, it's true. Yeah. But. Also, there's going to be far less people dying from automotive accidents, assuming everything goes autonomous. But that'll be, who the hell? Yeah. You, if ever.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. You see it in Tesla's numbers. They'll tell you like how many crashes per mile when it's on autopilot versus like not. And the, yeah. the number's like double or triple better than than it, humans driving yeah, cars. Yeah, you can't
0: really argue with it. The funny on the adaptive cruise control. So I have adaptive cruise control in my truck, but I drive a lot of rental cars, yeah. all different kinds of rental cars. Most have adaptive cruise control, but a lot of them still don't. And so I'll get into a car without adaptive cruise control, I'll put it on cruise control, I'll be driving in the interstate and I get closer and closer to the car in front of me. I'm like, it should be stopping now. (laughs) It should be stopping. And I look down like, oh, it doesn't have adaptive cruise control. Holy smokes. And then I have to hit the brake. I'm like, okay. It kind of pisses you off once you're used to using adaptive cruise control. It makes driving so like interstate driving, it makes it so much, so much better.
1: Oh. I once I had it, and then I I actually had a I had an old Camry, and it got someone pulled in front of me, so it got wrecked. And I I bought a new Bummer. a newer GMC pickup truck, and uh, yeah, I thought it had like all the adaptive cruise. Control. It was a used one, right? I thought it had all that stuff because I bought it off online, and nope, none of that stuff. And Bummer. I'm, yeah, I'm still sitting. I'm still upset about it. Like a year later, So we yeah. able, will able trade them for these new EV trucks coming out. It's it's funny. You
0: you're you're less exhausted if you drive a long ways without. Or with adaptive cruise controls because you just don't have to think as much.
1: And and all that technology is coming into commercial truck. It's coming into off highway equipment. I mean, I've seen plenty of videos of people in farm tractors just sitting there reading a newspaper or fitting on their phone because it's on autopilot. Just, yeah, just you know, tilling the field or planting seed or whatever it's doing. And um, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting to see where. I mean, you just look at how far are we gonna be ten years, twenty years from now, right?
0: The uh, so on the heavy equipment side, it's funny. You see a lot of people write off the equipment or just say, oh, well, you know, it runs itself and this and that, which is true, yes, but you have to get it set up and you still have to understand the machine. And so there's still a lot of skill involved in just getting a model into the machine and knowing where you're at on the job and understand, and just getting that machine to to get to the point where it is going to go grade a road itself. And it's still not really grading a road itself. It's still not quite there. You yeah. You do need to know what the hell's going on. I mean, if it is like a straight pad, okay, then there's nothing to worry about, yeah, but otherwise, and that's very rarely the case. There's still a lot going on, and it's just a different skill set, but they kind of use that as like just a, a way to kind of write off people that use it. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I've seen people be way more effective with that. Mary, they're again, like the, like I said, their operational mechanical know-how with the technology. that's a sweet spot,
1: yeah. What about remote control stuff? Have you seen many operations using the remote control stuff or is it still kind of Um, a gimmicky thing?
0: Um, so it, it's, it's for specific applications. So if you have say, and, and actually it's pretty slick. So one of the biggest commercial examples that Caterpillar has is they have loaders that are remote control for a company called associated terminals on the Mississippi. So when they unload barges, They have these big clamshells that come in and go grab aggregate or sand or whatever's in these barges, but they can't get the last little bit. So they'll have to lower a loader into the barge to clean out the corners and get all the material out of there. The problem is if you fall into the river, odds are you're not coming out, (laughs) which it's wildly dangerous to be on these barges. And two, you're only in there for like 30 minutes. So you show up for a shift, you wait around. You run the machine and then you wait around some more. Yeah. So this allows someone to be in a controlled environment, go into an office, sit in the operator station that they would normally be in with the loader, but they don't, they're not risking falling overboard and okay, this this loader's done. Great. Now you switch to this one. Now you switch to this one. And so your efficiency is through the roof. Yeah. So not only is it a safety factor, but it's just more efficient because now you can hop around and get better utilization out of your operator.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of what we've been talking with EVs and, you know, driverless trucks, it's, it's situational where things yeah. are going to make the most sense for people to, to use that technology and make it sure it's a, make sure it's a benefit for them.
0: And yeah, I, that's another thing that people dismiss. There's, there's a lot of safety examples, but one of my favorite examples as well was, uh, mm-hmm. there was a mining, mining operation that was ripping rock with dozers. Anybody that's ripped rock with dozers no, that just beats the hell out of you. Yep. I mean, just obliterates your body, obliterates you, which just one shift and and people do it for years and years and years. So instead you can do that in a remote setting Yep. so you can run the machine and okay. Yeah. You're not feeling the machine, but you probably don't want to be feeling it in that situation. And you can still do the job arguably nearly as effectively without destroying your body in the process. To me, that sounds like a better proposition, but yeah. But again, what do I know? I just talk shit for a living. Yeah. (laughs) Same here, right? Yeah.
1: But I I was, yeah, I was just curious because, you know, I know you guys have an operator shortage going on and you see these driverless things and RC things and all these things, but it sounds like it's not, it's not the solution to solving that problem. It's the solution to the problem.
0: I've like, like you, I've met with the guys, you know, doing the autonomous equipment. Built robotics is arguably my favorite group doing this. And they've admitted that we're only after, right now, the very repetitive tasks. So say we're on a wind farm and we need to go dig seven miles of trench for cable, yep. that's a mindless activity. And so if we can automate that and allow the robot to dig 24-7 and then take the operator that would be in that mindless situation and apply them in an area that suits their skill a lot better, that needs a human being, not only is the operation more efficient but that operator gets paid more. Yeah. You're making yeah. operators more valuable. You're yep. not actually replacing. You're not taking jobs, which is the misconception. So you're you're it's a win-win. The company wins and the operator becomes more
1: valuable. Yeah. I mean it's great all this new technologies out there, right? And I i think it sounds like what I'm hearing from you and I like I've shared too. It's like some of the stuff's just so early and people are figuring it out. But yeah. but you I think like you said, like Caterpillar, they're not going to back away spending less money on that kind of stuff. Like they're going to keep throwing more money on it. And um again, it just makes it a real a real interesting future as as things keep going on here. And I mean the fact is there's a huge huge shortage in talent gap right now. I mean there's eleven million open jobs and there's less than half that unemployment. Like it's not like we're going to go make more people all of a sudden. Yeah. Or people are going to start buying substantially less. Like we got to, we got to figure it out and get the the right people in the right jobs and get, you know, technology in the right places to make everyone more efficient and better at their jobs.
0: Yeah. Um, what is, what does diesel laptops look like going forward?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So going forward, I mean, so a lot like you, you want to make the dirt world a better place. I want to change an industry. So when yeah. I first started this, it was, you know, everyone's like, why do you do this? And at first for me, it was, well, hey i just want to put food on the table for my wife and kids i had a wife that didn't work and a one-year-old and three-year-old like i need to put a roof over their head give them food and then it became well can i can i hire a couple of people and make this like a you know profitable business and get going and we we check that box and i was like man can i make this like a, a real business and like can we go far here what can we do and we i think we've checked that box and for mm-hmm. me now it becomes hey my industry we got all kinds of problems when it comes to repair and diesel tax and all these things and I'm really tired of our industry talking about the same solution to that problem for the last 20 years and having negative impact, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I think I'm fortunate to be in a spot with my company to be able to impact an industry for the better. Mm-hmm. And that's really, and I, I'm you know, part crazy for doing this, but I, I, I can choose each year. Do I, go, do I go pull millions out of my company or do I just go spend it all and, and help solve a problem that needs to get solved? And for me, it's gone beyond just, hey, I'm here to make a buck and, and make revenue and, and do these things. It's, I'm here to go help solve a big, big problem that no one else has been able to solve. Yeah. And maybe I don't get there, but I'm, I'm sure as hell going to find out through that process. So I think that customers that, that know us and know our company understand that story and that's where we're going. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you there's, there's no reasons we do certain things. Like it's just, because it's, I just do it because I'm like, I think, I think, I think this will help a lot of people mm-hmm. if we do this thing. Um, like I'm, I'm going to invest well over a million dollars in a training center in Columbia, South Carolina. Like that makes no sense. Like I, how am I ever going to get a million dollars in profit back out of a training center in, in South, South Carolina? It's not a metro area, but I know I need that piece of the puzzle to accomplish the longer objectives that, that we have as a company. So for me, that's, that's where we're going is we're going to go, we're going to change an industry. We're going to go help, help fix this employment gap and this, problem this reactive model that we have today that absolutely sucks and we're going to help push push this industry forward kicking and screaming in some cases but if it's not me it's it's got to be somebody and i'm I'm sure i'm going to get some people along the along the road that joined up with us
0: yeah and there will be some upset people but it has to happen it has to happen and i like like you said i'm just tired of the same conversation you go to the conferences it's the exact exact same conversation every year, every year, over and over and over, every conference. I go to all the different conferences. Wait, are
1: we going to the same conferences? It's,
0: uh, I mean, yeah, (laughs) they're probably all pretty similar. Yeah. There's just no one sitting around. I mean, and I'm generalizing, painting with a broad brush. There are remarkable people, remarkable people, most people that, you know, work with us. I'm talking industry average though. It's just like, Everybody has their hands up right now. Like, yeah, yeah we'll figure and, it out.
1: Well, you know, the thing I always say is everyone points fingers at everybody else, but never point at themselves. So I don't care if it's a dealership, a manufacturer, a fleet, like nobody, nobody's looking at it saying, man, how can I go help this situation? Yeah. Very few are, right? there, there There's a few out there. But most people just want to complain about it and blame millennials or Gen Z or Gen whatever, or blame the economy or go blame their local government or local tech college, yeah, right? Don't it's, take responsibility. Yeah, it's all their, it's all their fault. That's why I don't have tax. Mike.
0: Yeah, we, I, <laughs> so we had a, we, we arranged a phone call with a very large trade organization and a really, really phenomenal, successful contract, unbelievable contract that they've, they've invested in our business. And. The, the 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 trade group was was really interested in how have you guys done this because they don't have a workforce problem they don't have a retention problem they have a really wonderful thing going really really special and you know they say that it started with us we had to look ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves are we serious about this and are we willing to change to make this better and to get us in this new direction and the answer was yes and that's the journey they went on and it's paid dividends for them but the the people at the trade group, they seemed a little disappointed to hear that, yeah, because I think they were looking for you know something real nice and easy that they could just put on a beautiful little platter and serve it up to their their members, but that's not the answer <laughs> the, the The answer is no we it started with me as an executive, as a leader. I needed to change as an individual, we needed to care more. It was all about. Human beings and caring and loving their people and investing in their people and really creating a remarkable place to work for, which then attracted more people to their business. Go figure.
1: Yeah, but
0: that's well, you can't tie that up in a nice little compact package and go sell it to
1: people. No, it's hard to do. I'll, I'll tell you, like an example from my industry, right? So, this is one of the biggest trucking, the biggest trucking association of, of for maintenance in the United States, and they get a new leader, you know, new chairman, whatever they're called, every couple of years, right? So you elect someone. And this person comes in and says, I'm going to, I have a solution to solve the diesel technician shortage. And they're like, oh, okay. And we've been talking about this for 20 years in our space. Like, we're going to make a video game. <laughs> I
0: always hear the video I'm game. I'm like, code. okay. I'm like, yes. you know, and I,
1: I heard this and I was like, <laughs> man, you know, if video games worked, we'd have a bunch of Rambo's running around here with, you know, the first person shooters. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Like, first of all, so they did it and, and they, they got donation millions of dollars of like people, oh yeah this is great here's money make sure my brands in the game blah 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 sure and last i looked that game had been out when i looked last it had been out for like a year and a half or 2 years and you know you can go like see like how many installs like apps have had yeah. it, less than less than a thousand i'm like okay yeah <laughs> i went and downloaded it it was, I'm like, oh, if you guys are gonna make a game, at least make it fun <laughs> and make it work. <laughs> like, it, did, it didn't yeah. even work. And it, but it had branding all over from all the sponsors and everything. Well, and like, this was, and this was the, doomed from the start. Like, we realized this
0: over the past few months the flaw to a lot of these workforce development initiatives, these video games, they come at it from their perspective, from their generation's point of view, what they would have wanted as yeah. an 18 year old, as a 14 year old, whatever it is. But that's not, that's not it. That's, that's yeah. so far from reality now. That they need to go. I mean, look, like, okay, great. So you're gonna give a 13 year old video game that you can either fix a truck or go murder zombies. Yeah,
1: or go play Minecraft. Like, <laughs> dude,
0: I'm gonna go murder <laughs> zombies every
1: day of the week. I, Are you kidding me? When they announced that, and everyone, I mean, they got so much like praise and mainstream media attention. I'm just sitting there like, this is the biggest joke that I've yet to see here. Yeah. But it, it just, it, it, it just frustrates me to see how our industry operates in that manner. And I'm just. You know, so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go try to do what I can do about it. And that's, that's at least I'll, I'll go down swinging if it doesn't work out. But I, I think we have an opportunity to really do a lot of, a lot of good for, for people out there. A lot of good, but no video games. God, no. <laughs> God, <laughs> God. I, I guarantee you my, I got a nine year old, 11 <laughs> year old there. They're not playing a game about fixing trucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It is not, it is not the Sims or it's not Minecraft. It's not Robux. It's not call of duty. Right. Like it's, sure. it's not fun.
0: Um. Well, Tyler, I've enjoyed this conversation.
1: Yeah, I have too. I mean, hey, first of all, thank you for like inviting us down here. It's been great to get to know you guys and learning everything you got going on over at Buildwood. I, I obviously follow you guys a lot on social media. Uh, but it's, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to, to see everything in person and, and come on Dirt Talk. So I appreciate it. Hopefully
0: you're not too disappointed. <laughs>
1: not, mm-hmm. not disappointed at all. By the way, if, if people have never seen this place, like absolutely amazing the job you did building the office here in the headquarters. It's, uh, it's really impressive. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm embarrassed if you ever come to South Carolina to come visit, but uh, I'll, I'll give you a tour anyway.
0: You see, but South Carolina, my expectations are a little lower, <laughs> yeah. which is, which is like, and, that, and that, I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's just like. I think you can get away with more in south carolina like it's just south carolina it's just an easier you know easier going you're in the south i know nashville's the south but it's just it's so up and coming now it's yeah. not really the south anymore yeah
1: yeah well it is it is a little bit different in south carolina it took me a little bit and if people are listening to me they probably realize i'm not from south carolina but absolutely love it there it's a great yeah. place great place to raise my kids so. it's one of my
0: favorite states oh yeah i love south carolina yeah yeah i mean i like yeah, I don't want people to take that the wrong way. I, I could not be more. I think it's one of the most underrated states in the union.
1: It it definitely is. It's fast growing down there, so it's uh it's a good place to to raise a family and grow a business and and all those things. Super. Um. So people can
0: follow you guys on LinkedIn and.
1: Yeah, I mean I I love LinkedIn. That's really the place I go personally. So Tyler Robertson, I'm on there. But we're I mean diesel laptops on the social media channels, yeah. uh, doing all the all the things we can do and trying to. Trying to grow a brand, grow a business, and changing an industry. Oh, what's, the, what's the podcast? Yeah, it's called The DL. Uh, the, the DL. Okay. Yeah. Super. So, All right, Tom. Well, thanks for stopping by. No problem, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.